0: Welcome to Storytelling with Lindsay Bednar. Hey Jana. I came across your Instagram profile. I don't know, you know, how the algorithms work. And I think my first ever podcast guest was a male to female trans woman who I've known since she was in like middle school. And so I think ever since I released that episode and I've had some hashtags that were associated with it, I think I've just been getting more things about the whole movement, the community, and on both sides of the spectrum. And I came across her account and I was like, oh, she's funny. She has a unique perspective because I think what most people's, idea is is that if you are part of a community then you are very tribal and you agree with everything that community is putting forward i actually saw a video recently of this guy in a a white man accosting a black man wearing a mega hat and he was like take that hat off and the black man was like no and the white man was like how can you wear that you're black And you can hear people like, oh, like what? How did we get here? So I want to first introduce you. Your your Instagram profile says that you are the chapter head in Florida of Gays Against Groomers. And then you have another tagline in there. You'll have to refresh my memory. Uh,
1: Bringing common sense back. Bringing
0: common sense back. Okay. So tell me kind of a bit about yourself, how you got involved in Gays Against Groomers, and, and what led you to your Instagram account and what you're doing today?
1: Well, really, I would have to say that I, I started needing to do something different with my life. I had been an alcoholic for a very long time, and I, I got sober October 21st, 2019. Congratulations. And, thank you. And uh, so with that being said is that I didn't realize I had absolutely no hobbies. I had no interest because I had spent so much time either A, working or B, drinking. And well, I got sober and I started watching some TikToks and I saw like conservative aunt, you know, and my friend Lindsay, like, And these were people that I could relate with. And I was like, well, if they're doing it, I mean, maybe I could do it too you know, and uh, I'm forever grateful for TikTok because they continuously ban me. Uh, so not everybody can see the like original content like when I first started, cause it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, cause I really didn't know what I was doing. I had no editing skills and I wasn't even really sure what to say. And uh, I made a video and I think that's really what sparked my interest. I can't really remember what it was about, but I essentially, nobody cares about who, what your pronouns are. You know what I mean? Like they don't care. And like, I got like all these views and the very next day they banned my account. And at first you're a little heartbroken, but You know, I just kept on pressing on because I really enjoyed making the videos because ultimately, yes, I do like, you know, having people interact, but I did it for me. Like I I was making these videos for me and like I wanted to see the transformation that, you know, my sobriety would look like, you know, and it's kind of like a footnote for me to, you know, see what I've done better and uh, gotten me to the place that I am today. And uh, I've always been like really funny. I I mean, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I crack my own self up. So those videos, like when I would have a hard day, I can go back and watch my own videos and be like, (laughs) (laughs) and that helped me. That was one of the first things that I realized that I was good at I just continuously uh, did that. And a few people noticed and uh, Gays Against Groomers came around and eventually they invited me to uh, make some videos for them. I told them, I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing Uh, as far as like, you know, research and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I do a little bit of research, but most of my content is like, common sense like if that doesn't make sense or it doesn't feel right i could make a video about it you know and give my two cents gays against grammars has kind of given me more like my content can get bigger because They're showing me how to research. You know, they're giving me ideas. We're networking together because ultimately we want this nonprofit to obviously uh, expand and help as many people as possible.
0: What is the gaze against groomers like mission and intention? If you could just speak
1: to that. Uh, So it is fighting against the indoctrination, medicalization and mutilization of children. Okay. So it's specifically
0: about grooming kids. I mean, I think gays against groomers is pretty clear to me, but just to give everybody a little bit more information. So it's comprised of gay individuals who are fighting against the current narrative that we are seeing where there is education, there are different things trickling into younger and younger age groups where sexuality is being discussed. Is that accurate?
1: That is 100% accurate. Okay. And when you were
0: doing your content creation and you your first TikTok video that was banned was saying that nobody cares about your pronouns, what kinds of feedback were you getting in the comments before the ban came?
1: Most of them are positive. I mean, of course, you have people that disagree with you. And those are my favorite because of the fact that it just gives more opportunity to reach to other people that might not understand right now. You might come across my video and be like, uh You know what I mean? But maybe you come across it again on a different subject and your perception might be like, "Mm, you know, maybe maybe I can think about that. You know, uh, usually if you're triggered, it's something with you, not the other person. And a lot of people don't understand that. And when you learn that little trick because it allows you to look at it and if you want to, you can work on it. One of the best
0: things I've learned in the last like decade, and I'm curious, was that something you learned as part of your sobriety? Because I feel like several people with whom I've connected, whether they were part of AA or just did a lot of self-discovery on their own, they did a lot of inner work to understand their triggers and how it really was about them rather than the exterior world. So wondering if that was, if learning about triggers was part of
1: your sobriety. With my sobriety... The only reason I am able to maintain my sobriety is because of Alcoholics Anonymous. To me, it gives you like 12 steps on like how to find God. You know what I mean? Because you can't stay sober without God or a higher power, however you wish to identify that. For me, it's God. And, you know, it's surrounded by acting your way into different thinking. I, I, I can want to get sober or I could want to lose some weight or I could want to do whatever, but if I don't do anything to like set that into action, it won't ever go anywhere. And you know, with Alcoholics Anonymous, working the steps, you know, finding a higher power, being of service to others, like I am, of service, no matter where I go and what I do, whether it's for Alcoholics Anonymous or Gays Against Groomers, or I'm at work and I'm just opening the door for somebody, you know, like I live that way because when I am in service, I'm grateful and uh, I'm happier. And a lot of people, how many times are like, oh, I have to do this for me and do this and do that and be very self-centered, like not to say I'm never self-centered. Yeah, of course I am. <laughs> I'm human. However, like when I'm constantly being of service, it's harder and harder to be so self-serving.
0: One of the arguments that I have heard against the usage of pronouns is that it is self-serving in that, you know, I, I believe it was a, a Matt Walsh quote where he was saying, you know, I can tell you that I am tall and handsome, and those are my adjectives that I prefer to go by. Is that fair? Is that if I tell you, you need to refer to me as tall and handsome, do you see the correlation between the pronouns and my preferred adjectives? And I've heard that correlation drawn. Now, of course, I've heard the the argument against that as well. But uh, there does seem to be a trend of in current society of if I am not recognized as the way that I want to be recognized, it's everybody else's fault, as opposed to how am I operating the world? How am I serving others? And it's more of how is the rest of the world serving or not serving me? And I think that that has become such a slippery slope because if you look at the world through that lens, um, you can fall into victimhood very quickly. And what is the world not doing for me? And so wondering, you know, what kind of counter arguments you've heard based on even just the usage of pronouns? What what is it
1: that people typically... Uh, The use of pronouns, like, I'll tell you a story. Like I used to work at uh, Publix when I was younger, maybe like 15 years ago. And I had just recently... Cut off all my hair. Like it was about 15 years ago. And I was cashing somebody out and I messed up and they started yelling at me and they said, whatever it is. And I was just like, I had never felt so bad. I always struggled uh, with uh, my weight. I have a lot of issues and cutting off my hair. I look like a guy, but. The fact that I wasn't human enough to be identified as a man or a woman, like I was like, wow, that really hurts, you know? And then you see these people today and they're like, I'm a it, I'm a they, I'm a them. And it's just very sad because you have no self-worth because if you did, identifying as a man or as a woman would put no relevance of who you actually are because why am I worried about what something you call me when I know who I am I am convinced that I am female that I am you know worthwhile that I am super awesome you know what I mean these are things that I know and I can't rest that others will make me feel the way that I need to feel like that's too much burden on others. And in the end, people will always let you down. Mm. Yeah.
0: That's interesting that that was your experience. And some might think, okay, after that experience that you would be more apt to allow people to be seen in the way that they want to be seen. But I'm seeing what you are saying here that, it was really dehumanizing to say anything other than she or he that that they weren't addressing you as a human but rather than it so if, if somebody is choosing to be referred to as they them that that rings a bell
1: of dehumanizing for you
0: accurate yeah
1: absolutely yeah. i mean I, I like some people don't see it that way but i do I mean, I've worked long and hard to be somebody and, and that person back then, you know, uh, was just, I was just learning how to live. I didn't know what I was doing. Like I had all these unsettled child trauma, you know what I mean? Like, and I used alcohol to fix things that didn't really ever fix anything, but I was too lazy to do anything different. You know, I had to live through some hard things in order to get to that willingness.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, You speak about, you know, fighting against the woke culture. Could you articulate in your mind what the woke culture kind of consists of?
1: I feel like the core of it is you can do whatever you, you want to do as long as it agrees with my beliefs, and if it doesn't agree to my beliefs, then you're canceled. You know, uh, you can't have an opinion that is different than mine. And whether we're talking about gender ideology, sex you know, education in the schools, or even transgenderism, like, oh, if you don't agree with my lifestyle then you know you hate me and you're a bigot, you know, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, I believe that you're entitled to feel however you wish. You know, it'd be different if like you're actually harming somebody, but if your opinion is that homosexuality is a sin and and, and, and like you don't agree with that lifestyle, you should be able to feel that way. There's nothing wrong with that. Because I'm aware of myself, like, and I have to just worry about me. And the woke culture is worried about everyone else mm. except themselves.
0: Mm. That's a powerful statement. And I think hearing from your perspective as a lesbian woman who is saying that if there are people who believe that homosexuality is a sin, that they have a right to believe that. And I think that that's pretty powerful, allowing that freedom of choice and and people's own personal opinions and being secure enough within yourself to know their opinion by no way, shape or form affects your own reality. I think that's a very rare thing right now, because you're absolutely right with the current culture. If it doesn't align with whatever the current narrative is, it gets canceled. And that narrative is kind of a sliding scale. It changes. But even questioning, say, biological males who have transitioned to female competing in sports is if you question that, then you will very quickly be labeled as transphobic.
1: Well, call me transphobic. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't care how you live, but when you... Tread all over females, especially in sports. I think that there's a big problem with that because of the fact that men are obviously stronger physically than women. Maybe you have like, you know, some really strong women, but at the end of the day, there's always probably going to be a stronger man. And uh, these men can't kick it with the men. So they decide to take a few years off boost themselves full of hormones. And I mean, they're not even getting sex change. Mm. They're they're putting on a dress and saying, I've arrived. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, I'm here to take the gold, you know. And uh, I was really impressed. I did a video the other day. It's just seeing um, that the cyclists won first place and second and third didn't show up. And, and and then he had the audacity to be like, "Well, I don't really understand why nobody showed up. I was in the right age group,
0: yeah. a, a biological male cyclist competing in female competition, and so the second and third place did not show up." Correct to the crowning award ceremony, got.
1: right? You know, and, and and it's to me, it's just the audacity. Like, first of all, you took the award, okay. But then to put out on Instagram that you you don't know why. Like maybe they could have been upset. Like you couldn't put two and two together.
0: Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm.
1: what I mean? Like and that's where I, I just see their self-centeredness to the core. Like no one matters except me. It is fascinating how
0: the world is responding when, you know, in my lifetime up till the last however many years, it was a continual. I watched a lot of feminists fight for women's rights. You know, Title IX was passed before uh, I was born. That was 70-something, I recall. Yeah, 72. And so And that's when women were really allowed to compete. And so to get to where we were not that long ago, to where we are now today, and to have what seems to me as people who would consider themselves feminists that fight for social rights and social issues that are behind biological male competing in sports against biological females, I I don't understand the connection. It's a big disconnect for me. And I had my first my first podcast, again, was the guest was the male to female. And we talked about this a bit. And and she had mentioned, well, maybe we have a completely separate trans sports where if you are male to female, you compete over here. If you're female to male, you compete over here, which I think is great in theory. But as of right now, the population is small enough where I, I think that in the trans community, they are just looking to compete i don't think the demand is there for to have trans sports yet but with putting biological male in a female sport and then not acknowledging the advantage and the clear numbers that are changing i mean it was like 38 seconds that the swimmer came in before the next female swimmer came in and when he was swimming with males he was ranked like 462 yeah to, to just, I mean, th- those are the facts. And so if, if we can't even look at the facts and say, okay, maybe theoretically, we were, people can hope that would work and it would be great and it would be inclusive and everybody would be great. But then when you look at how it actually plays out and how these biological men are blowing women out of the water in these uh, events, I, I don't understand how it can still be considered as transphobic. This is just, like you said, common sense conversation. And, you know, I I heard a good analogy where they said, okay, if Mike Tyson in his prime woke up one day and said, I feel like a female, I'm in a transition, and then went into female boxing and didn't release that he was, you know, somehow previously a male, because this is what happened with Fallon Fox. No one knew this was a biological male in the first few fights. Where, where does the, where's the line drawn? You know, if we can see a very clear masculine, somebody dominating a sport and then they want to switch to another sport, is that line not going to be drawn?
1: Well, they don't believe there is a line. There's nothing too far over the line for them. And that's what happens. And then people, they don't they don't say anything. They don't want to be labeled anything. So they just, you know, they stay quiet and to themselves. And may they might not agree, but they're just not going to say anything because they don't want to have to worry about the backlash. And unfortunately, that's really harming us because the more that we give, the more that they will take. My mom used to say all the time, She's like, Jana, I mean, I want you to be happy. However, you understand you give, you give the right to marry to gay people is going to set up a pathway to pedophilia. And I was like, your mom. Yeah. I was like, mom, like, that's crazy. Like, I mean, these people just want to get married. That's it. Like, that's all it is, you know? And like five years later, I'm like, well, mom, you might not be too far off. Like, you know, because of the way that everything is, is that when you open Pandora's box, you have to understand that other things are going to slip through. And not that I think it's wrong. I don't think it's wrong, but I do question it. When are people going to say enough is enough?
0: Well, and I think the average person is just looking for inclusivity. And so I understand why so many people are hesitant to do or say anything that would look to be not inclusive. But when it comes to some of your videos about just Pride Month really got me. There was one in particular where it was an older man. I mean, he must, I don't know, the 40s. He was very much an adult. And he was in white briefs. And he was dancing in the street and twerking, basically. Um, and all he was wearing were his tidy whities And the video showed the man. And then it panned to the side of the street with a bunch of children watching. And I thought... Oh my god if this was just a regular parade like our small town parade and that happened it would be an uproar but for some reason because this takes place within the confines of the pride parade it happens and i've been to pride parades before where i've seen things that were not appropriate for children i haven't brought my children to pride parades but a lot of people do with the intention of being inclusive and showing that love equals love, and I understand all of that. Problem is, they're not always geared toward children. And so, I think on your post, you know, you had spoke to, you know, stop bringing your kids to Pride Parade. So, where is the responsibility? You know, is it with the parents? Is it with the people within the community and at the parades? And what is your take on that?
1: Well, here's my thing, is that we are all each other's responsibility on some kind of level. Like, I don't participate in pride because I've always thought it was odd that I was celebrating my sexual orientation. That's weird. I know. I don't care what anybody says. Like, I have no desire whatsoever to put a rainbow flag on me and dance throughout the streets to tell everybody I'm a homosexual. It's just never been my thing. I mean, I don't know. Like I've never really, I was never really political before I got sober, but even before I got sober, I never went to gay pride. I just wanted to be gay with my partner. You know what I mean? Like, Nothing else needed to be gay about me. So to me, I I, I think it's weird. I mean, cool if that's what you want to do. Like, you know what I mean? But it doesn't mean I have to participate and nor do I. I feel like secondhand embarrassment for that man uh, and for those children. You know what I mean? Like it's he's. Delusional. You know what I mean? And he is harming children, whether he likes it or not. But at this point, I feel like it's intentional. I mean, at that same parade, they had full erections. They were naked. I mean, this is indecent exposure all day. And the parents that continue to want to be so inclusive at any cost. It doesn't matter that they're putting their children in harm. It doesn't matter because they need to be seen and heard and, you know, validated. When that's, children shouldn't be validating adults, Mm. you know, and we definitely should not be exposing them more than they have to because life is rough. They will learn soon enough. Like they don't need to be taught about sexual orientation. I mean, hopefully your kids have some common sense and they learn along the way and they will ask you questions, but that should be up to the parent, not school, not pride, not the library, you know, as far as sexually explicit material. You know what I mean? Like in any shape, form or fashion. So. Shame on the person that's doing it and shame on the parent that's allowing it. And let's pray for those children because it's going to be rough if they continue to be exposed to things like that.
0: You said something really powerful in there that was children shouldn't be validating adults. Adults shouldn't need a validation from children. And I think that's huge. You know, I think there are adults that likely bring their kids there even if they don't, their kids aren't questioning, um, but they're, they're trying to show inclusivity to the LGBTQ community. A counter argument would probably be that parents are trying to show their kids, they don't want their kids to grow up in a heteronormative world where they don't feel seen if on the off chance they happen to be gay or trans. And You know, of course, there are a lot of different ways to support your kids, but I know that that is a a counter argument I've heard. So what would you say to somebody who's saying, well, I want to bring my kids up in a world that's not so heteronormative because I want them to understand that whether they're gay,
1: straight or otherwise, they can feel comfortable. Kids really don't need to worry about that. I mean, nobody had to teach me that I was gay. Like my mom didn't need to take me to a seminar or a camp. So that way I could experience being gay. Like my coming out story. I told my mom in the seventh grade, mom, I think I'm gay. She was like, no, you're not. I was like, okay. And then I told her again when I was about 21 and she goes, I know whatever makes you happy. I just want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. And and I think that was the best way for my mom to allow me to see what I really wanted. She wasn't encouraging that, but she wasn't hateful. Like, I mean, she was just like, no, that'll pass. Whatever that is, it'll pass. And when it didn't, she was okay with it as well. But she wanted me to have the opportunity to learn that for myself.
0: Interesting. And do you think that was because you know, a lot of people recognize that kids, especially at that age, are very much in experimentation mode. They're curious, confused, they're coming into their own. And so she was just kind of trying to prevent you from putting
1: a label on anything. Mm-hmm. One mm. 100%. My mom it's has so- always been very accepting. She just, you know, she believes in life experience and that's how she raised me and you know I'm grateful that she gave me that room to grow. A lot of uh, parents they're so worried about what their kids are going to be like or how they're going to be. Obviously, yes. You you want to mold good human beings, but you also have to allow them to make mistakes and that's exactly what my mom did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If, you know, your parents are always telling you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, how will you know how to do it when they're not there? Right. How did you feel at the time when she said, no, you're not? (laughs) You know, I don't think I was that bothered by it, but I was like, I had so much more on my plate that I kind of forgot about it, you know, and it was an idea that came up later in life. And I learned for myself, I I was... You know, being in relationships have never been my, uh, thing. Uh, I have been in a few, but I think that I've always been a loner. I don't know why I feel like that, but you know, I am like, I don't date. I just like want to be of service, like ever since I got sober because I never had like any healthy relationships. So I was like, well, I don't really want anyone to mess up my peace and what I'm trying to do because there's a lot of sick and suffering people out there and I'm not saying I have all the answers but I want to try to be a service to them.
0: Have you ever felt a push and pull with your sexuality and being of faith or has that always been easy to
1: come to terms with your sexuality as a person of faith? Um. Uh, <laughs> It's absolutely not easy, especially because I do believe in God that I've kind of learned through my sobriety is that not everything that I love is good for me and not everything that I love, you know, is something that I should do for myself. I have this little thing that I started working out because I hate working out because I believe that if I could do something I hated and turned it into something that I love, then I could give up something I love to make me better, Mm. you know? And it can turn into something that I just don't want to be around or just don't want to participate, which is smoking cigarettes, you know what I mean? So that's like right now, that's my thing. Like I've been going to the gym and, you know, working on myself on a physical journey because like my first few years of sobriety, I was in the hospital a lot. So, you know, I had to get healthy. It took a couple of years before I could get to this place. But as I've always believed that God had a bigger purpose for me. And, and though I enjoy being with women, uh, I feel like my service to God is way more important. So I just kind of don't date. I don't do anything at all. You know what I mean? Like I just, only,
0: yeah. And the only reason I asked you that
1: just to be a completely transparent and clarify, I
0: don't think there's anything personally sinful about homosexuality. And I have a very strong relationship with God. I only asked you that because I was just picking up on a little bit of like a push and pull in that, in your faith and in the current community. And I think, it probably just intellectually, what you're seeing part of the community that you're technically a part of, and the homosexual community, that it is been rubbing you the wrong way so much that it probably brings up a lot of of stuff for you, even if you might be completely okay with who you are. Uh, seeing it magnified in a negative way
1: can, you know, crawl into your head a bit. I think it did when I was younger, Okay, more so. Today, I'm whoever I want to be. You know what I mean? I don't let people's opinions of me and what I should or shouldn't do dictate anything in my life today. I used to carry around a lot of guilt and shame, but today I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And if that means that I don't date then I think that that's the best thing that I need to do for me. You know, so many people are worried about what other people are doing. Like, I have a big enough responsibility taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be overloaded with your stuff. Do I want to help? Absolutely. And you'll ask me if you want my help. But to kind of worry about myself is what I kind of go towards. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I encourage other people to do stuff like that because just because you've been one way doesn't mean you have to stay that way. Like there's always room to grow. I just, today, I'm allowing that to be a possibility.
0: I want to go back to the Gays Against Groomers kind of mission and what, you know, you talked about education and I believe you use the word mutilation and, and speaking of the surgeries and everything. And so what have you seen shift? I, I think all of us can acknowledge that there has been a shift in the last several years and there have been different laws that have been passed. I want to get this correctly, so I'm wondering if you can speak to it. But there are safe states where if a person under 18, and I forget the age group, But if they are seeking transition therapy and assistance, that they can go to another state or basically refuge and get medical help without the consent of their parents.
1: Yes, there are states like California that do do that. And it's very scary. Um, We had somebody call Planned Parenthood and, you know, try and get services But they were like, you have to be over 18. And then, but they were like, hey, we have this number. And person calls the number, says, you know, I don't want my parents to know, so on and so forth. I can't have them know. And they were pretty much ready to book an appointment right then and there that they could file under a sending code uh, where the parents would not know about any services rendered uh, nor would they get mail they would have a special passcode that they would have to say date of birth email and there was a certain way that they could you know run the line of questions so that they knew it was you and not your parents calling in as you So this is very manipulating. You know what I mean? When you take the parents out of it, it makes you wonder, is it right? You know, I'm not saying every parent out there is perfect. You know, not everyone's blessed to have a mom like mine. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? I don't know, but I can tell you that this is very underhanded. And then you have these 12, 13-year-olds getting double mastectomies, and then by the time they're 18, they're like, what have I done? You know, I've made a permanent decision on a temporary feeling. You know, the whole month of June, Gays Against Groomers fundraised money just for detransitioners. I'm sure it went, some other funds went here, there, but that was the majority of where we were wanting to donate our money are to people that have decided that detransitioning was the best thing for them, you know, because they have all the services you want to cut these body parts up to dose ship full of hormones. But when you decide that that wasn't what you wanted and that wasn't what was best for you, there's no help at all. So where does the funding come from the transition? Is that... Does that go through parents' insurance? And if so, how is that off the table? Are there? I'm sure that there are parents that are funding this through their insurance. However, I would think this is state funds as well. I mean, because if you have organizations that can essentially not take your insurance, not tell the parents, I mean, this funding has to be coming from somewhere not necessarily out of pocket.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and like you said, there are definitely kids who grow up in families where they're not being seen or heard. And that is a, a sad reality. And knowing how malleable the adolescent brain is and how much it changes. I mean, I taught high school for over a decade and I will tell you, these are some of the most like very confusing age. And it's kids who also are doing almost anything they can to stand out, to be different, to be known, maybe not to be different, but to be special. And you combine the very normal adolescent desire to be special with messages about society that, you know, how people are elevated if you transition or if you're part of this community, that can be incredibly confusing. And with all of that said, you know, I think if we go back to where it started from and when I started teaching, I wanted to put a safe space sticker on my door. I don't know if you remember those, but yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. If this is a safe space, if somebody were to come talk to me and say like, I think I'm gay or whatever that that sticker would allow them to do so, but my principal told me that I couldn't have it up there, and I remember I kept it up anyways. But it was in those early years that I decided I wanted to be a um, Gay Straight Alliance advisor because at the time it still didn't seem like it was okay for kids to seek just a conversation with an adult if they didn't feel like they could talk to anybody at home and. You're worried about suicide. You're worried about people being lost. So I did that. I was a, a GSA advisor for a number of years, and in, in in those conversations, it was always just about like, how are you guys feeling? Or they would talk about what well, really anything, but it was it was more just having a space for them to be who they were, not any kind of guidance or anything wow. for me. And so I I think the pendulum starts, you know, with good intentions, like we want more inclusivity, we want conversations, we want people to be safe, we want people to feel seen. And then, like with a lot of things, it gets to a certain point where it is less about just making people feel safe, and more of some sort of underlying, I don't know if it's underlying purpose or something that a lot of people are just feeling like this is really starting to get into the schools and younger and younger grades when I think that there's confusion as to why are we talking about sexuality with elementary school kids. And so long-winded way of saying, I think with this movement, it starts, and most things start with great intentions and based on really inclusivity. And then it starts to just get to a place where it's has gone farther than maybe the middle of the road. And it feels like that's where we have
1: gotten. I feel like the road is, uh, definitely gotten wider and, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing. You know, that wide road seems like the right way, but it's always the narrow pathway. That's usually the right way. Unfortunately nobody likes to hear that. Like and you're not even talking about sexuality outside of that in general, you know, doing the right thing isn't always easy. It's It's actually very hard. It's much easier to do the wrong thing. And it's more fun. And yourself, you know, kind of like, instant gratification, like all that type of behavior. It seems like it feels good and it's best for you, but it might not necessarily be that.
0: What do you think is the right thing in like
1: current society? I mean, a good start would be to stop trying to include children in adult activities. Stop trying to be so inclusive with kids when they're barely able to tie their suit. They're barely able to read over a third grade reading level. I mean, I think that there are other things to focus on, you know, and I don't see what the obsession is about sexual orientation and gender I- ideology. It's too much. I don't think it's as necessary as they're pushing it. I think they would rather people be confused about their sexual orientation and their gender ideology so that they never can really get to the next level because, like, their base is who they are sexually or their gender identity. It's the biggest part of who they are instead of it being character Uh, how you treat others, your ambitions, your hopes, your passion. I mean, you can go on a list of things that make Lindsay, Lindsay. You know what I mean? Like it's not who you sleep with. And if it is, you're in shallow water. You better watch out. You know what I mean? Because of the fact that living a shallow life like that, you miss out on, on some great things. Why
0: do you think the medical community is allowing transitioning in teenage years when it's pretty clear that the human brain isn't even done forming until for women it's like what, 21 males, it's mid-20s? Why do you think they are allowing that to happen at such a vulnerable, malleable
1: age? Uh, Money, money, money. Money, you know, uh, lifelong patients of big pharma. I mean, come on. If you get them young enough, I mean, like if we're getting them as children, now you're going to need all the way into your 50 or 60. If they wait until they're 30 and they only live till they're 60, that was only, you know, 30 years of money that they got from them. Why not make it longer and bigger? You know, let's make their pockets even thicker, you know, while taking away from you financially, your spirit and your body. I mean, they've come to destroy anything good about society all for the mighty dollar. You know, people are like, oh, I hate corporations as they Post up all their gay flags, Target. You know what I mean? Uh, Bud Light. Oh yeah, it, it's just it's just a money maker. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with your health, or that they care about you. They could give two shits less. They, they could care less. It's always about the money.
0: It's a sinister thing to consider but when you've seen time and time again the realities of the way in which they operate you're left with little else to that, that's that's the conclusion that you can draw but it's curious to me you had said that detransitioning is difficult while transitioning is has gotten easier and easier so detransitioning to me would still require a lot of medical expenses. I know it's uh, Scott Nugent who has talked about um, the detransitioning, and well, he hasn't detransitioned, I guess, but there's a lot of there are a lot of complications that you will continually have throughout your lifetime. So, you know, I, I'm not disagreeing with you that this is a, a big money grab, as much as we would like to think that the medical community really just wants to be as inclusive as possible. It's it's a business, you know, it's a money grab. But what about the detransitioning then? Because aren't they lifetime clients as
1: well? Patients? Okay. Great question. But here's my thing, is that if you have enough detransitioners, you will have less. Uh, transitioners. So it, it's all by design. Like they make you believe that there are people out there that are needing this life-saving gender affirming care and they will continue to push that because that's where they're going to make the most money because for all you know, let's just say they just started hormones like they didn't have like anything cut off. They you know, they were just taking hormones and then they go you know what, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Maybe they have some long-term effects. Maybe they just have short-term effects and then they go about living a healthy life. But if you have more stories coming out about detransitioners, it'll make transitioning a little bit difficult because they'll have a story. And when you have a story, people are more in tune to listen. So they have to get rid of that idea completely. So th- I think that's why they discourage detransitioning because then they can't make their money that they really want to make. Could it be that, yes, they could be lifetime big pharma clients? Absolutely. But people are going to be less likely to transition if uh, enough stories come out. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. Uh, it, it The more... Detransition stories
0: that are out there, the less transitioning is attractive to people. And they start to hear about the adverse effects and the dangers and the complications. And a lot of the real things I've been watching videos of kids, their, their kids and how devastating it is. And I don't think those conversations probably happen enough before the transition happens because they seemed pretty unaware of all of the possible adverse effects. What would you say being a lesbian yourself and you came out to your mom, like middle school, I think that's a very common age. Now, there are some parents who, when their kid comes out, they might be like, oh, this is amazing. I'm so happy for you. And then dive right in. Like, let's, let's go to pride. Let's make it weekend out of it. Let's, let's do this. It's kind of like, you know, any kind of proclamation, you just want to like get behind and support them. And then on the flip side, there are those that just say like, yeah, I don't think you are, or no, that's not allowed for whatever. How would you suggest operating to that based on what you're seeing in society,
1: as well as maybe what you wanted and needed to hear at that age? For me, like I felt like it, it happened exactly the way it was supposed to. Could I've used more support? I mean, maybe, but I don't think my mom was capable at that time. You know, so many people put so much expectations on parents, and it's almost like they're subhuman. You're a parent; you can't make mistakes. Uh, oh, you, you can't have the wrong, you know, idea about me. That's just unrealistic. You know, parents do what they think is best. Whether it was best or not, I mean, I don't know. I, I appreciated the fact that she didn't just like outright affirm me. I would play softball all around the, you know, all around the United States. Like we went travel team and tournament team. Like she affirmed me in those ways. Mm. Like she, you know, had me involved you know, in different things and said, Hey, good job. That's really awesome. Versus worrying about my sexual orientation. I'm glad she put it to the back burner because it's ultimately not that important. The most important thing is to learn to love yourself and how to take care of yourself. And I think that's what my mom did for me. So I think she did exactly what she thought was best. And I respect that. I don't think that parents need to be affirming every single delusional idea that a child has. You know what I mean? Whether it's, okay, you're gay. Okay. Well, great. Whatever. What did you do in school? What, you know, what are your hobbies? Who are you hanging out with? what are you reading? You know what I mean? Those kind of questions. Not like, oh, you're gay? You have a girlfriend? Like, that's weird. Like, why not just focus on real things that kids need to pay attention to? Mm. Not sex.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I think that's great advice for anybody, rather than focusing on the things that maybe we can't control, like our orientation, our race, our whatever, rather than being defined by those, really being defined by our character. And that should be more important than anything else. I think that's the
1: message. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being the best human being you can be. I have to go shortly, but you know, I'll leave you with when I was younger, I did not like myself very much. I was not very, very nice to myself. But when I was at work, I, you know, people would be like, oh, how are you? Super awesome. You know what I mean? And it was something I always wanted to be and feel. I wanted to feel super awesome and that's like where i got my name was i remember all those times i kept saying in my head and today i'm so grateful that i get to live in that idea that i'm super awesome today
0: very cool very cool well you created your reality so it's all in what you put into it uh-huh. that's awesome well janna i can't thank you enough was fun connecting with you and i appreciate you sharing your perspective i think it's hopefully going to generate a lot of conversation and that's what it's all about absolutely dialogue awesome well thank you thanks for being super awesome and uh (laughs) i will um look forward to staying connected with you and, and follow what you're up to
1: absolutely thank you again
0: yeah you bet